everyone and welcome to the January 15th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Juan Aranjo with Floyd Skern and Kelly. Let's get started with this week's news. The City of Los Angeles prevailed in the Supreme Court appeal of a DFEH dispute with a former police officer. The decision illustrates the risk on both sides of these cases, especially for plaintiffs seeking to make a mountain out of a molehill and the potential risk employers face for high attorney fee awards that may greatly exceed the amount in controversy. Here's what happened. Robert Chavez was hired as a police officer by the LAPD in 1989. He filed the lawsuits against the department for false accusations of misconduct that was dismissed in 1999. He left work in 1999 on stress leave under the care of a psychologist. About two weeks after he returned from his stress leave, he filed a DFEH uh, claim and received a right to sue letter. He left work again in 2001 on another stress leave. He pursued his FIHA and related claims in federal court and ultimately lost after pursuing appeals to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in 2004. His federal case was dismissed without prejudice for refiling the DFEH claim in state court, which he did in November 2004. After a five-day state court jury trial in 2005, he recovered an $11,500 verdict. His attorney then filed a motion requesting more than $870,000 in attorney's fees as a prevailing party in the state court jury trial. One of the big financial risks for employers in DFEH cases is a potential attorney fee award. In this case, however, the state court refused to award any attorney fee. The trial court's refusal to award fees was then reversed by the California Court of Appeals. The California Supreme Court granted a petition for review and reversed the Court of Appeals, directing that no attorney's fees are to be paid by the City of Los Angeles in this case. The Supreme Court pointed out that under state laws, as well as federal laws, a reduced attorney's fee is appropriate when a claimant achieves only limited success. Here the court said that the employee's $11,500 success was modest at best. Other cases supporting this decision established that an attorney's fee request that appears unreasonably inflated permits the trial court to reduce the fee award or deny one altogether. The request for more than $870,000 in fees was according to the Supreme Court grossly inflated. Lastly. The court concluded that this action should have been brought as a limited civil case, an expedited court procedure for cases with potential value under $25,000. Unreasonable failure to make use of this expedited procedure allows trial courts great discretion at the time of awarding costs and fees. There were numerous amicus or friend of the court's appearances by special interest groups on both sides of Chavez versus City of Los Angeles. Those on the plaintiff's side are walking away disappointed at this time. Notwithstanding the Supreme Court ruling in Chavez this week, there remains a great number of important cases awaiting disposition in our appellate courts. The outcome of these appeals may significantly alter workers' compensation law. The California Supreme Court has agreed to hear Hertz v. WCAB Aguilar, a significant case on apportionment and permanent disability. Aguilar was awarded total disability in part because his limited education and poor English proficiency, coupled with the effects of his injury, precluded him from any work. 
the Court of Appeal reversed the award, deciding that education and language skills cannot be considered as disability directly caused by the injury, the standard now under new apportionment rules. The California Supreme Court will have the final say in Hertz, an outcome that is uncertain at this time. Also, the Almaraz and Guzman cases have changed the way we use the AMA guides, and both of these cases are pending review by the Court of Appeal. Each of these three cases are high profile and have attracted a great deal of attention and interest from special interest groups on both sides. These groups have been given permission to file amicus or friend of the court briefs and many of the briefs have already been filed. The California Applicant Attorneys Association is aggressively arguing their views as well as defense organizations. No hearing date for oral argument has been scheduled yet in any of these important cases. Another pending case, <clears throat> permanent disability awards in cases of life pension or total disability now require an increase in payment rates each year by way of a cost of living adjustment or COLA, which over time can be very costly. Employers were handed a blow last year in the case of Duncan versus WCAB when the Court of Appeal picked the earliest of all possible dates to calculate the COLA. Later dates favor the employer and earlier dates favor the worker. The COLA also makes a big difference in the amounts of attorney's fees paid. In a total disability case, the attorney's fees for a young worker can reach into several hundred thousand dollars. A petition for review has been filed in Duncan and it is not known if the Supreme Court will hear the case. There are other cases challenging the mechanics of calculating the COLA, winding their way through the courts and it seems likely that the COLA issue and all of the nuances of calculating the COLA will take many years to complete. In anticipation that some or all of the cases will be adverse to the employer, the WCIRB has estimated a higher cost for permanent disability awards in their calculations for rate increases next year. And some insurance companies have made modest premium increases in 2010 anticipating that at least some cases will not be employer favorable. As each of these cases reach their final conclusion, the ultimate cost to California employers will become more clear-cut. And now, our medical news. A Johns Hopkins study claims that the practice patterns of physicians participating in a workers' compensation system had a profound impact in the ultimate cost of claims. This finding was published in the January edition of the Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Researchers analyzed five years of work comp claim data from Louisiana and found that about 4% of physicians accounted for more than 72% of the costs. These physicians were termed cost-intensive providers or CIPs. Researchers found that most physicians practice prudently, but there are physicians who engage in cost-intensive practices. This research is a culmination of several years of investigation into workers' compensation costs that have yielded similar results. The major finding that was the work comp cost of claims associated with this group of physicians are much higher than treatment associated with other physicians. The authors suggest that as we continue to debate the nation's healthcare system, it makes sense to analyze how practice patterns drive costs before instituting sweeping reform. Finnish researchers concluded that smoking is modestly associated with the risk of low back pain. Their findings are published in the January issue of the American Journal of Medicine. 
Researchers of the Finnish Institute of Occupational Health wanted to know if smoking increases the risk of back pain. Previous analysis of the existing research came to different conclusions. Researchers reviewed 81 studies involving smokers, former smokers, or never smokers who had low back pain. They selected 40 studies involving more than 300,000 adults and adolescents. The data showed a fairly modest association between smoking and low back pain. The association between smoking and low back pain was strongest for chronic or disabling low back pain. Since apportionment of permanent impairment can be based upon causation, new studies such as this one may be used to argue for apportionment in low back cases involving smokers. It remains unclear if studies like these will be followed by the courts. California workers' compensation premiums have increased due to higher medical care costs, including the cost of pharmaceuticals. A recent General Accountability Office, or GAO, study provided some insight into these rising drug costs. The study found extraordinary price increases for 321 brand-name drugs, with prices jumping from 100% to 500%, and in a few cases by more than 1,000%. The number of drug price increases more than doubled from 2000 to 2008. GAO's findings came as lawmakers worked to finalize Senate and House versions of legislation overhauling the nation's health care system. In June, drug makers made a 10-year pact worth $80 billion with Senate Democrats and the Obama administration that could limit legislative options. Critics say that both proposals are too generous to the pharmaceutical industry and fail to do enough to rein in costs. The Senate requested the GAO analysis and said it shows more must be done to make medicines affordable, including allowing the federal government to negotiate prices. However, pharmaceutical research and manufacturers of America, also known as pharma, criticized the report for focusing only on a small number of selected brand medicines. Pharma made it clear that it supports the Senate's bill rather than the House version, which would cost drug companies more. There are several investigations into drug prices pending, including another GAO report requested by House Democrats. The outcome of this legislative debate will have an effect on drug pricing within our workers' compensation community. While we wait for legislative reform, an article published by Bill Zachary in Risk and Insurance discussed management strategies for work comp prescription drug costs. He claims that the right drug at the right time will maximize recovery and result in the earliest possible return to work. Too much or too little medical treatment adds unnecessary costs to the system. However, there are difficulties managing drug use from the claim perspective. Here are some problems and tips and tools that can be used. Utilization review is often retrospective and is not particularly an effective tool since new physicians require pre-authorization to write a prescription. Newly enacted AB 749 allows employers to develop a pharmacy network to control pharmacies. However, the development of pharmacy networks is still not yet fully in use by employers. Some employers who establish an MPN require the physicians to follow prescription formularies which can control questionable practices. However, controls over patient compliance is the biggest problem area for claims. Since there is minimal feedback between the pharmacy and physician or claim department,
It is difficult to know if the prescription was even filled. Even if it was filled, it may not be known how much of the medication was actually taken by the patient. The potential lack of patient feedback and control exacerbates problems with prescription drug management and should be the focus of attention for claims. And now for some economic news. After a long period of decline, the U.S. insurance industry saw an uptick in employment in December. The data was released in January by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Total insurance industry payrolls are reported each month on a seasonably adjusted basis. There was a gain of 2,700 insurance jobs even though the national unemployment rate is stuck at 10%. Based on November 2009 data, health insurers again proved to be the only sector that's seen year-to-year -year growth in employment. Average weekly earnings for non-supervisor positions in the insurance industry were mostly up. Unfortunately, this does not include claim adjusters who were down 1% from the year before and third-party administrators who were down about 2%. And here is our fraud report. The Coalition Against Insurance Fraud reported the results of a survey this week. State insurance fraud fighting bureaus are seeing a significant spike in fraud cases while trying to manage with lower budgets. State agencies said that cases increase in all 15 types of fraud schemes. The largest fraud increases are agent schemes where 7 out of 10 fraud bureaus report a spike in agent cases. Anxious drivers continue ditching unwanted vehicles for insurance payouts in one of the defining fraud trends of the troubled economy. Shakedowns of businesses also appear to be spreading, with 60% of fraud bureaus seeing spikes in suspected bogus liability claims. Reports of increases in slip and fall claims, especially from grocers, department stores, and restaurants began surfacing in early 2009. Bogus health plans are spreading rapidly around the U.S. as well, exploiting the large market of uninsured Americans. Most fraud bureaus report a spike in fake health plans where nearly 40% saying their caseload was much higher. More than 60% of fraud bureaus report more cases involving diversion of painkillers and other addictive prescription drugs such as painkillers. And in other news, Zenith Insurance announced that Janet Frank will become President and Chief Operating Officer. She will also be an executive vice president of Zenith National Insurance. Ms. Frank has broad insurance industry managerial experience, including most recently as president and chief executive officer of the state's compensation insurance fund. Prior to joining the fund, she was executive vice president of North American Field Operations for CNA Insurance. The current president and chief operating officer of Zenith will become its vice chairman and will be responsible for strategic matters. Stanley Zacks, chairman and executive officer of Zenith, believes that Ms. Frank will strengthen the company with her broad experience as an insurance executive. And here's what's coming up next week. The California Applicant Attorneys Association will hold their annual 2010 Winter Convention at the Weston Mission Hills Resort in Rancho Mirage next Thursday, January 21st. This annual event is one of the largest educational events of the year for both applicants and defense attorneys. 
Topics over the four-day event include the new QME regulations, apportionments of permanent disability under the findings in Hertz, the AMA guides, chronic pain, and the pain add-on. Presenters will also review the most significant recent cases in workers' compensation. Panelists include both applicants and defense attorneys, physicians, and several work comp judges. In addition to the education activities, there will be a 5K walk run, the Jerry Goldberg semi-annual golf tournament, and a tennis tournament on Friday. Some of the education activities have been approved for minimum continuing legal education credit by the State Bar of California, and for legal specialization credit, and DWC credit for QME continuing education. All activities and events are open to all attendees except the general membership meeting. All new call members are invited to the new member breakfast, which is held Saturday, January, January 23rd. A copy of the program brochure and registration information can be downloaded from the call website. That's all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone or iPod by searching for Work Comp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Juan Naranjo with Floyd, Scarn, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us, and please visit us again next week for more news.